0: For more information on the Mormon Files Internet Video Program, please visit ExMormonFiles.com. That's ExMormonFiles.com. And now, here's Earl.
1: I'm your host, Bishop Earl, and I'm grateful for this opportunity. I thank God and I thank the volunteers who make this possible. I was a faithful Latter-day Saint for over 60 years and I have a love for the LDS people. And we know that there are LDS people who are questioning and leaving the church, sometimes over doctrine, sometimes over church history. Some can't keep the commandments and they feel guilty. And then there are others that just don't, uh, don't feel like they can do enough or be good enough. And I hope our story tonight will touch your heart and give you some hope that there is life after Mormonism, that there's a wonderful peaceful Christian walk out there that, uh, that you can participate in. We'll start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless us tonight as we share a story and that we might have your spirit with us, that the things that are said will touch and soften hearts and we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll teach. And we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. Tonight we have Josh Durham with us. Now, Josh, I've got to welcome, by Thank the way. You. I've got to explain that Josh lives in Kansas. He's yep. come over from Kansas and drove this morning from Boise to come and be with us tonight. So I really appreciate your taking that time and effort to to be here. No problem. Now, yeah, you were uh, uh, born Latter-day Saint, is that true? Yeah. Tell yeah. us a little bit about your history as a... Latter Day Saint.
2: Um, I I was born and raised in the LDS Church. I grew up in Twin Falls okay. in a, a big LDS family. There was we had nine people in our family total. Wow. We were active. Um, I got I remember reading the Book of Mormon when I was eight <laughs> years old. In fact, my dad gave me a hundred dollars for doing it. Wow. He <laughs> offered each of us a hundred dollars if we read the Book of Mormon and two hundred dollars if we read the Bible. But I <laughs> never I read, got
1: the two hundred. I didn't <laughs> ever get the
2: two hundred because that was a big book. But. Um, I did get the hundred dollars, and I remember getting uh, you know baptized when I was eight. Um, I went through the young men's program, advanced in the priesthood. Yeah. Um, I did. I got my Eagle Scout. I went through the scouting program. Wow. Did four years of seminary, um, and uh, was it was basically you know normal active. Wow. Uh, <laughs> LDS member. Uh, Josh is also a uh, physician,
1: and so you chose a med school career uh, in lieu of going on a mission, I yeah.
2: understand. Um, I kind of, when I was when I was younger, you know, I relied on a lot of people's testimonies, as a lot of us do, and we're sure. teenagers and stuff, and um, I really hadn't had my true conversion to the, the LDS faith, and I still kind of, um, I went, and I was active, of course, but I still hadn't had that 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 testimony of my own, right, exactly, (laughs) and so um, I was younger, I was 17 when I graduated high school, I went right into college, and um, really I I was already accepted to med school by the time I had gotten my, my, what I would call, testimony, Mm. and so it was a hard decision for me to to go on and go to med school or um, to go on a mission, but... I uh, chose to go ahead and go yeah. to, to medical school.
1: But you did have a testimony of Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon? and the,
2: Sure, uh, yeah, I do. I remember um, when I, I met my wife, she was a, a, um, a Baptist, and mm. she had actually been raised, to, um, not necessarily to hate Mormonism, but she knew some of the anti-stuff. Her mom was a, a Christian and had taught her a lot of things. Uh, you must about, have
1: been persuasive, too. Well, yeah, <laughs> kind was. of.
2: But... Um, uh, but she went through the discussions, and through that we both ended up gaining a testimony. And I, you know, I prayed after reading the first vision multiple times, and praying multiple times eventually got what I would have considered a, a testimony, testimony. with testimony yeah. the church.
1: Now you're saying she uh, also took lessons and then converted sure. to the church.
2: Yeah, she went through the missionary discussions wow. and gave it an open an open mind. Um, I had agreed with her at the same time that I would give her an open mind in, re- in, re- in listening to her religion. Okay. Although... In retrospect, secretly, I, I already had all the truth. You knew so that you, you had all the I, truth. I really, right. actually, as, as embarrassing as it is as to admit, didn't give her a chance. Right.
1: You just and so she joined the church, and you were married
2: mm-hmm. in the temple. Then eventually, we we came. We um, decided to get um, married. We had a, a, a struggle with that decision because her family was not LDS. Her father was LDS, but inactive, mm. and um, so we struggled with the idea of getting married in the temple. Or having a civil marriage, and we elected to go ahead and yeah. get a civil marriage. And of course, you know that's um, for her family side. That was great. For my family side, it, it, it kind of felt like you know you did the wrong thing. Yeah. And um, but my family was still supportive. Um, but um, you know, just like with not going on a mission, I kind of felt like. I uh, didn't do the right things, and if you feel like people are kind of looking at you and looking down on you, which is unfortunate, but um, a year and a half after we got uh, married civilly, we went ahead and got married, uh, sealed, in the Idaho Falls Temple.
1: Oh, wonderful. So and was, that was an interesting experience, was it? Uh, how did you feel about that?
2: It was, um, honestly, um, I, I kind of, we both kind of expected something different out of that. Um, yeah. You know, um my first, my first experience in the temple was, I, I would kind of consider it as a flop. Hmm. Um, you know, it just, I expected more. I mean, I, I was so into it. I actually thought maybe I would see Jesus or something. You know, I mean, yeah. if you look back at it now, and that seems kind of funny. But um, I, I expected some big, wonderful spiritual thing to happen, and I just, it just kind of seemed a little bizarre, and just things just didn't really click for me. And I always thought that was just me and that was my fault. And I need to go back and work on that harder.
1: And, and trust that it will eventually make sense. Sure. I'm not sure what we're learning with this. The, there's actually been a number of guests that have talked about the temple and their first experience. And I guess what I'm trying to evaluate in my own mind right here on the spot is, is what is this teaching us about the their temple experience. Maybe they need to reevaluate all of that uh, because I, I have a sense, and now knowing what I do know, well, maybe you can explain. What do you know now about the temple that that bothers you, or would would bother you if you knew about it ahead of time?
2: Um, as far as the things that go on there, nothing. I mean, nothing was, nothing is like you know too out there. The biggest, the biggest problem I had when with with the, my temple experience was, um, was it just. It just didn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense at that time, you know. And then, and then I we got through and got into the celestial room, and it was like, okay, we're done, and just kind of look around, and it's like, okay, what's next? And so, uh, it just it's just kind of bizarre, kind
1: of strange. Well, I've since learned that, of course, a lot of the ritual comes from masonry. Oh, sure, yes, yeah. yes, and that it, uh, in fact, even has some occult to it with the eye, all-seeing eye, and some of the other things that. And I think maybe for a person who's spiritual and sensitive to the spirit um, and really hitting this for the first time I think maybe it's Satan saying or not Satan it's God saying to you you know this isn't this isn't me this isn't what I'm about uh, you're feeling this for a reason there's right. some reason you're feeling this way
2: right and, and um, interestingly enough, you know, being a physician, I understand psychology a little more than most people. And um, you know, the part of people going into an experience like this and then not getting the same spiritual experience that others get—it's—it's it's kind of a group. You're—you're you're involved in a group where certain things are supposed to feel and be a certain way, and so when that doesn't happen for you. You're kind of the odd man out, and it's your fault, and so you need to go back and, and keep working fault. on it yeah. until you're a part of the group instead of being allowed to be an individual and question things.
1: And instead yeah. of questioning that maybe this isn't of God, you just say, I'll, I'll just trust or
2: right, believe that it'll
1: eventually come yeah. to me. Yeah. So you uh, had an active wife then, and, yep. and you were married, uh, of course, in the temple, and then you were busy and active in the church sure. for yeah, a period of time? Yeah, we had several
2: callings. I was in the, uh, um, in Kansas City, I served in uh, the uh, um, primary uh, Sunday school presidency. My yeah. wife served in Young Women's, and okay. then um, we ended up moving to uh, rural Kansas to where I started my, my okay. practice and family practice, yeah. and um, had a lot of callings there. Wow. And um, served uh, in boy. I was the Boy Scout Master in the young the young men's presidency, the Elders' Quorum presidency. Mm-hmm. I gave, you know, taught on Sundays, all those kinds of things.
1: Well, was there ever then anything that, or what was it that kind of started drawing you out of the church?
2: Um, in two thousand and eight, I came back to go to um, my brother's ceiling. I had a, a younger brother that uh, was getting married to his wife, and I remember. Um, going into the temple, being in the ceiling room, and kind of just, it was just weird. At just one point, I just kind of looked around the room, and I kind of have a dysfunctional family, as some of us do, <laughs> but I remember being, I was being kind of judgmental towards others, and I remember looking around the room uh, full of my family members, and Just looking and saying, man, this worthiness thing is a joke because I could point at each one of my siblings and relatives in that room and say, there's no way you're worthy. I know these things about you. And that kind of reflects bad on me for being judgmental, but. It's a
1: pride thing, kind of. That's kind of what,
2: that's just the kind of thing that was happening to me. And so I remember seeing that and just thinking that this worthiness thing is just kind of a joke. And then um, after that, we went in and we did some. uh, washing and anointings, mm. and I got pulled aside right before I went in, and the guy said, "I don't want you to be alarmed, but the ceremony has changed since you last did it." And right then, I just had this horrible, horrible, dark feeling, um, and I, in my mind, just went completely blank. And I remember going through and doing about six or seven people in the washing and anointings, and just sitting there through it. And the whole time, I just kept saying to myself, "God is the same today, tomorrow, and forever." <laughs> yet. This, this temple ceremony is supposed to be being done the same way it was done thousands of years ago, yet it's been changed. We've changed it, yeah. it bothered kept, me too. Yeah, and I just it just didn't make sense to me. And then when I left, I confided in my father and I told him, I was like, man, this was the worst experience I've had. I don't ever want to go back in there. Because, you know, in Mormonism you're taught, horrible feelings are from the devil, so why am I feeling the devil in the temple? And of course my father told me, well, you must not have been worthy enough to be in there. It's your fault. It's my fault, once again. It's not the group's fault. It's no. not the organization's fault. It's your fault. Wow. You're not conforming to the group. Mm-hmm. And so um, that really struck me. And so, and so I ended up not going back to the, to the temple after that. But I still continued to be an active, active member, and, still yeah. continued to do my callings and, and believe in the church. Hmm. And um, Was there ever anything else that uh, then kind of well struck you funny? What happened next was um, we had our first son. Um, Paxton and he was born and at the time I was the young men's I was in the young men's presidency I was the Scoutmaster I was in a rural area where I would do home teaching and have to drive a 60 mile radius to get my home teaching done I was in meetings every Wednesday doing Boy Scout (laughs) trips once a month Um, the youth activities during the weekends I was doing Sunday with meetings and trying and to run a
1: practice. <laughs> trying to run a practice,
2: and on top of that, my wife was the young was the in the young women's presidency. So every Wednesday night, she was stuck doing wow. stuff, and then on Sundays, we were both teaching. And we had a we had a brand new baby that we were passing back and forth constantly this whole time, and and the church was tearing our family apart. It really was. We were miserable, wow. and um, I remember the bishop calling me and asking me and told, telling me that he prayed. And then I'm supposed to be the seminary teacher on top of all this. An early morning <laughs> An seminary early morning teacher. seminary teacher, yeah. And I and I told him, you know, I said, and I felt horrible. I felt guilty for I've never turned down a calling in my life. But yeah. this time I just told him I can't do it. I'm a I'm a physician. I'm on call. I've if I get called out to the emergency room at 7 a.m., I got a classroom full yeah. of kids, and I just can't do it. And I remember him just stopping and saying are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure the Lord told me you're supposed to be it. And I'll tell you, for a month, I just felt awful. Oh, I bad. just felt awful. But it got to the point where we were so busy with church that we um, we hated going. We were miserable. We were depressed. We were fighting. Sin, you know, sin would creep in and enter your life. And um, it just seemed like at the perfect time, my brother Jared decided to leave the church, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, he sends me this six-page email and tells me that the church is a load of garbage. Can you share with some details? Yeah, I mean, he sent me a church, or this this email, and in it, he talked about uh, Joseph Smith having more than one wife, which I was never taught Never about. taught
1: that, no. Marrying
2: other men's wives. Yeah. I was never taught that, you know? He had a gun and shot and killed two men in, in, in uh, blood atonement, you know, all the, Brigham Young, all these things. And... Um, I remember it was funny because me and my wife sat there and were like, "There's no way, this is ridiculous." You didn't believe. And what so you... I was going to be the good big brother or little brother. Sorry, he's my. I was I was Nephi in the family, and, I, I, and so I'm supposed to bring the family back together. That's kind of what. That's what my father was told me. Who was the was and right. or something? <laughs> and so I was I was set out. I had a mission. I was going to prove to my brother that every one of these, the six page of problems, was just from anti material. Yeah. And within three hours. I, re- I realized these are LDS materials. This is coming from LDS documented sources. These things are This is an anti-Mormon. It's right.
1: actual LDS. And
2: I remember just being sick. And uh, we started reading about polyandry, which is when a woman has two husbands. Yeah. And, you know, of course in the Bible and even in D&C 132, a woman is not allowed to have two husbands or she's That's committing right. adultery. Right. And in Todd Compton's um, in Sacred Loneliness, he talks about the 11 polyandrous wives and also FamilySearch.org. You can research on that and, and see um, the the polyandrous relationships. And I remember the minute my wife started reading that, she said, I'm out. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> That's a little. Because you know, I've been a member my whole life. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was, I, had, I was indoctrinated that if I was to leave or the bad things would happen to me, I would lose my family for eternity, you know, um, and so and I you knew scared. there had to be an explanation. Right, there had talking? to be. So but just, there never was, but of course, there yeah, had there never be. was. But, yeah. um, and so immediately she's like, I'm taking my name off. And, wow. And I'm taking our son's name off too. And I mean, I was sick. I was scared. I was I, because you, I, I believed it 100%, and yeah. this was crushing my world. And, um, and so she went ahead and did that. And I just told her, well, you know, you can do what you want to do. I'm not ready to do that yet. But we both decided we're not going back. We emailed the bishop. You did feel
1: strongly enough about the email, or at least the things you'd been studying, right. to, to say there's something wrong here. Right.
2: And um, we, we we actually initially we decided we were just gonna maybe try to fake it and see how that would go, and kind of phase our way how out. How did
1: that work out? We went
2: to church one time, and it actually happened to be a friend's uh, missionary farewell. Oh boy. There back home, and uh, and we were sick. We actually had we had to get up and leave before. Uh, because was the things over. that were being said. Because it was so hard to sit there and listen to people bear testimony of Joseph Smith when they don't know the whole story, or testimony of the church when they don't know the whole story. And it, was, it really made me sick. And it was, it was heartbreaking to see my friend leave to go on a mission for something that I was sure wasn't true anymore based on the information that I'd read. Yeah. Um, so we ended up uh, that week, we went home, sent an email to the bishop and said, we want to be released from our callings, we're not coming back. Well, wow, that must have left a big hole in the ward. It, it did, because yeah. it was a small ward, and yeah. I had multiple callings, and yeah. um, of course, so did he come over and? He called me and wanted to talk to me. He didn't. He wasn't interested in talking to my wife, which really made her mad. And that's mm. actually, she felt like she was basically worthless. No respect the, for only the priesthood holder that yeah. needed to be talked to, yeah. and he could get his wife in line. Maybe I don't know, and um, <laughs> so. She was mad at that and she said, that's it, I'm taking my name off and Paxton's name off. And so it was within the first week. And of course I was scared, but I went in and I talked with the bishop for two hours. I laid everything out, but it was like I was just talking to a wall. It went in one ear and out the other. wasn't
1: listening at all. No. Even though it's from church... Documents, right? Or, I mean, in my case, the old 1830 Book of Mormon compared sure. to the current Book of Mormon, they're or the just lectures not of the faith. same. Or the Lectures, lectures of, faith of
2: Faith is a big one. I was canonized for 86 years, I think. Yeah, part of as the scripture and of covenants. It, it it blatantly teaches that God the Father was a personage of spirit.
1: That's right.
2: And so I, I had a hard time with too when I came across that information. But um, so I, anyway, I talked with him, and, and you know, there was a lot of guilt, a lot of fear during that conversation and um, trying to talk to me, to me and coach me back in. And I just remember, thankfully, my wife is very strong-willed, and I knew there was no way I could go home and tell her I was going back. Um, but, um, you know, I went home that night, and I cried. I cried for an hour or two, and I was lost. I didn't know if I would And there were no
1: answers that helped resolve the problem. And everything else, at least for me, everything more I looked at, whether it was masonry or, in, in my case, I did finally learn about Joseph Smith and the many wives and, and the book of Abraham and yes. how that came out in 1967, and we have those facsimiles. I mean, just everything just that I kept looking at just kept falling apart on me. Yes, so,
2: and I remember doubting. I had a lot of doubts, yeah. but I would constantly go back to one story, and I, I don't know, I'm sure you've read it, about Zena Huntington. Jacob Smith Young. Okay, yes. That was my story. That was my what I would call my snapping point, which made me realize something is wrong, this is not right. Because Henry Jacobs was told by Joseph Smith when his wife was six months pregnant, your wife is to be mine for eternity, and she's to marry me. And so Henry Jacobs stood by, watching his wife be sealed to Joseph Smith for all time and eternity, and all of his children would be with Joseph and Zena while he would stand over here for eternity and watch them be together. And that was my snapping point. And that's what made me think, I'm not going to worship a God that would tell the bishop to come and take my wife and my children from me for eternity, especially if I'm being righteous, because we know he was being righteous. He was sent on missions for the church constantly. Yeah. And so um, I would encourage anybody, just read that story. <laughs> Zena Huntington Jacobs Smith Young. It is an eye-opening experience. And um, I remember arguing with my dad, and I just kept telling him, if the church is true, I will be standing behind Henry Jacobs in line <laughs> in the complaints department because that—that's not a God I want to worship.
1: Well, and th- and that's what's interesting about this. I keep calling it the Gospel of Joseph Smith, but it's just so—it's so human. It's—it's it's, there's no relationship with God directly. It's all about all this stuff in between, all these right. rules and regulations, rituals, ordinances, and so on. Well, so then after you visit with the bishop, you go home and.
2: Yeah, I and went you home, and, with your wife and I, I, you know, I was going. I was basically agnostic at this point. I, you know, as a Mormon, you know, I knew the Bible was corrupt. You can't trust it. So, what now? That's a tendency, isn't it? Well, sure. I mean, you,
1: the church is true. And go ahead. I'm sorry. Um,
2: and <laughs> so I remember just telling my wife, you know, I don't think there's anything. I think this is all just garbage. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just a big con, you know. And I remember her telling me. She said, Don't give up on, on uh, the Bible just yet. She'd been Christian before. She was raised Christian. And, um, and, you know, it was. And so she said, Just don't give up on it yet. Maybe, maybe you'll find something else. Of course, it was easy for her. She snapped out, went right back into her old life. <laughs> her old life. And um, she was relieved. I mean, she, she said she really never believed the whole becoming a God thing. When they talk about that, she'd just let that go in one ear and out the other. And, of course, I ate that up. I mean, yeah. Who doesn't want to be a god, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but, Very uh, human. Um, and so I, and so from then on, I started my research. My brother actually had introduced me to the Heart of the Matter show, too. And so I started watching hmm. a lot of Sean uh, McCraney's show. And um, I read his book, A Born-Again Mormon. I read A Case for Christ. I started doing research on first-century Christianity. I read um, an early church father's book, uh, Eusebius. Hmm. If you've never read that. That's you can actually I get Googling, it free on Google huh? Books. Oh. But yeah, it's interesting because I want to know. Well, how was the church really set up in first century, and how do we know things are reliable? I did a lot of research on the Greek and Hebrew languages. I started talking with um, uh, a pastor back home named Steve Little, who can read six different languages. He can read wow. Ugaritic, which is what <laughs> most of the Old Testament's written in. You don't even know how to pronounce it. Wow! And so I started. I started doing a lot of research and studying the languages, the cultures, because you got to understand the language and the culture. Of the time of the people writing it, or you'll take it out of context. Yeah. Um, um, I read um, just tons of tons of books. Tons so this
1: agnostic period didn't last too long. You started a couple, doing some a couple, research. A couple of months. So did you start having a trust in the Bible?
2: I did after I after I did some research and learned about the twenty five thousand or so different or, uh, manuscript evidences of the New Testament and the Bible, and and the reliability of that as as far as it's the um, the the largest collection of antiquity uh, for a book. And why don't the LDS understand that? I, I mean, don't know. You know, it, that's documented. It's just the Bible is trustworthy, right? And and that's what I love to do now is when I talk with them, I ask them, Well, what's wrong with the Bible? What and the, you know they like to bring up the Nicene Creed. And that's when they decided to cut things in and out. And I said, "Well, have you ever read the Gospel of Thomas? Have you ever read the Gospel of Mary Magdalene? Why don't you look at those for yourself and decide why they so were in they there?" If they fit
1: in, yeah. But
2: also what's interesting is we before 325 AD, we have the early fathers church uh, letters where they were writing amongst themselves, and there can be we can recreate the entire New Testament except for eleven verses as we have it today. And Isn't this that is be- amazing? Yeah, this is before the <laughs> Nicene Creed, yeah. so it, we know it's reliable. We can we we can we can show that's where these were the books that were being used that are being used in the New Testament today. Yeah. and you can go back to the manuscripts and see where they translated correctly, and it, it's amazing.
1: So, what does the Bible mean to you now?
2: Well, after after I had my born again experience, um, it, it means everything to me. I it, it's it's interesting because in and as an LDS person, it was always uh, hard. Yeah. you know, it's a struggle. I got to read my scriptures tonight. I got to do this. I got to do that. And it was never about the Bible. It was always the Book of Mormon, mm, right, or, or yeah. just whatever, yeah. you know. And um, just so long as you're getting it in, right. And um, and to me now, I mean. I love it. I it's, it it drives my wife crazy cuz she'll turn around and here I am over here reading the reading Bible. the Bible and she's just like can you stop please? And I I want to. I love it. I think we
1: mentioned it a number of times here but it's hungering and thirsting after after righteousness, after the word of God and sure. yeah. You know. How do you feel about Jesus now compared to your time as a Latter-day Saint?
2: Um you know um when I, I'll just explain to you kind of my born again experience and Please. how that kind of happened. I remember uh, one day everything just kind of came to a head. And um, I just got to the point where I'd read a lot of atheist stuff, a lot of. Christian stuff a lot of you know everything just kind of put it all together and and look at all the evidence for and against and just really trying to think through it and I just got to the point where I was just overwhelmed I was uh, you know just you just had this this heavy burden on your chest and it just I just got to the point where I just couldn't take it all anymore. these
1: questions and yeah. stuff
2: yeah and I you know I remember coming to the realization that worthiness is a, is a joke personal worthiness is impossible because we sin constantly every day <laughs> and um I, I remember going in my backyard and having my own, I guess, little sacred grove experience, but I hate to, I hate to relate it to that, but um, going down and just kneeling, and, just, and, I, and I decided I'm going to do this one time, one time, and I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and beg God. I'm just going to do it one time, and I got down on my knees, and I just prayed, and I said, Father, God, if you're there and you can hear me, if you really exist, I realize now you know, I'm a sinner uh, there's nothing I can do to be perfect. It'll never happen. I don't know if you're real. I don't know if your son is real. But I'm telling you right now, if you are, I'll give my life to you. I'll give my heart to you. Um, but, uh, you know, and basically you just let me know.
1: That's beautiful. And
2: and it was it was actually amazing because I know some people don't have a a moment where it happens, but for me something changed, you know, and I I do not like to relate anything towards feelings because I do not trust feelings whatsoever anymore now. But uh, I remember a huge weight just being lifted off me, and, and my attitude changed. I started to see the world differently. Um, I, all of a sudden, I loved Christian music. When I was in LBS and I listened to it, I thought it was devil's music. I wouldn't listen to it. I, um,
1: so you were definitely born again, a new creature. You exactly. Know,
2: huh? Yeah. Uh, and so with that, though, I remember, the, the and I still today, I'd wake up in the morning, the first thing that was on my mind was Jesus. You know, I'd go to bed, it was Jesus. And it was, it was constantly asking God, let me have more faith in your son. You know, when I'd mess up, it's give me more faith in your son, I need that. And... Um, he just became everything to me and i and I remember going through and reading in the New Testament everything he said and making sure that I understood what he said and that I, my theology lined up was his because yeah. If my theology doesn't line up with what he says, I'm not part of him.
1: And the Latter Day Saint, the Mormon doctrine, doesn't line up with the, the things Jesus said or Paul said in, in the Bible.
2: Exactly, which which actually so it's blew my religion, mind. Yeah. It blew my mind because as an LDS person, I remember reading through things just and, nothing, assume, and nothing
1: just hits you. You assume
2: it's the gospel, right? Yeah. But when you have a preconceived notion of what you're going to read and what you're supposed to get out of it, you can read anything. But if it's subconsciously been implanted in you what you're supposed to get out of that, you're not going to get the real message.
1: Josh, you're not going to believe it, but our time's up. You have done unbelievably <laughs> to share okay. your story. It's such a wonderful story. And um, I just have a heart for the LDS people. I'm sure you do, too. I do. you, know, you just What would you say to them in about 10 or 15 seconds?
2: Um, I would just encourage them to um, look for that relationship to God. Don't let, it, don't let a man or some or man, man, man get, made in, get in between that. And realize that the true church is the body of Christ. And all these local churches' job is to bring us to Christ and to that relationship to the universal church, which is the body of Christ.
1: Trust the Bible. Josh, thanks again. And, make, and for making the trip, I really appreciate it. And in bad weather, too. Yeah,
2: you're welcome.
1: We really appreciate you listening. And we, we hope we have a message here for you that you can trust God, trust the Bible, and turn your life over to Christ. Thanks. See you next week.